Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. While we're on recording, we wanted to take a minute to thank our One Association brothers. Countless families have personally sacrificed and labored for us to be at the moment that we're at. Furthermore, Pastor Justin Johnson was here in the last week sharing prophetic encouragement. Submission Ministries has continued to share prophetic words and has also done so as recently as this morning. The Hutchinsons are sitting here with us today, along with other brothers and sisters from the Remnant Church. Before we depart the United States, Nick and I will be spending a brief time with the Arising Church as well. We're standing in the midst of a holy brotherhood that has a singular aim. So today is our last service together in this season of life. Our message is entitled today, One Way Ticket. One Way Ticket. Today we're going to discuss several topics, but namely, it will be what it looks like to be on a one-way flight to the will of God, cultivating a life that is able to accomplish all he has purposed you for. Amen. This ministry began with a dream and bow process. I realize that there are some who are new or guests in the room, but most of you at this point have listened to the message, Dreamer. It's based around the life of Joseph, that he's given something from God, speaking about his ultimate destiny. And then the process of being made into a man who is fit for the master's use looks like a bow. He's very close to the things God has shown him. And then the rest of his story seems to just be drawing him further and further back until suddenly everything the Lord spoke comes to pass. With that in mind, it's been through great trial and conflict that this ministry stands today, as well as our brother churches. This ministry began with the dream that it would produce ministries, life-changing ministries, plural. The idea has always been that what would start in a living room would grow to reach nations of the world because those who came into the living room would be equipped and sent out to reproduce what was given to them. It's not a coincidence that we have Pastor Michael Hutchinson sitting here with us today. And I say that we're men who are currently standing in a dream. Things that looked impossible at one point have become a reality that we are living in. Come on. And there's still the fulfillment of more dreams ahead. This church is the result of a man hearing from God and persevering in that call to completion. And we are replicating that pattern on an increasingly massive scale. When I came into this church, goodness, it's been almost... 12 years now. When I came into this church that many years ago, one of the greatest things that moved my soul from the very beginning was a passage from Proverbs 25. This passage actually set my heart on a trajectory 
to become a disciple of the Word of God and a disciple of this house. And not just to be content with what I knew already, but to continually strive ahead for the next thing that the Lord wanted to show me and show us. Proverbs 25, 2. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. We want to open up this message with this passage and tell you that you have been given the right. You have been given the privilege. You've been given the glorious ability as a son of God to hear from God himself and to pursue his purposes for your life, your family, and your future. God loves concealing for the purpose of your own search and discovery. For you to seek him and to find him. Because he is not far from any of us. You search out his will and the call of God. And you discover that that's always what he wanted you to do along the way. Finding his leading can and should be the greatest pursuit of your entire life. Isn't that right, James? This requires that you cease your own pursuits of other less important things. And you pursue the most important pursuits that you could ever imagine in your life. God and his kingdom. This morning, we want to ask you from the beginning of this word, how is your intimacy with your father this morning? How is that intimacy? What does your relationship look like right now? When you walked through the door this morning, how did you spend it? What is your intimacy when you wake up? What does your morning look like when you're just wiping the sleep from your eyes and your father is waiting to reveal his heavenly revelation to you? You see, you're a son of God. And it's time to start living like a son of God in every area of your life. This is all part of you engaging with the bow process. Many of you are familiar with the bow process. That in order for an arrow to be launched at a specific target, it actually gets further away the closer that it gets to launch. You guys understand that concept, right? But what does that look like practically? When I came to this ministry... I experienced the revival of spirit. I experienced the revival of my soul, but I also experienced the death and the stripping away of everything that I once held as important in my life. I saw the stripping away and the drawing back from business plans. I even saw the stripping away and the drawing back of a life that I intended to build with my wife. Man, I had great plans to take care of my wife. And I had to see those stripped away and drawn back in order to be standing where I am today. Think about the things that had to be stripped away in your life. Because for me, I feel that I've gotten a lot further away from the nations than closer in the years past. I had a divine encounter with my king, one-on-one, mano-e-mano, at one of the most difficult times in my life. I had had Work stripped away. I had my family stripped away. 
every other ambition in my life stripped away, and I devoted myself to discipleship, and it was hard. We had just had River. I was in Acts class. I was in CARES, which for those who don't know, that was an apartment ministry that takes too much time with very little fruit. The one, one merit, it, is, it does cultivate something in the man's heart that is beautiful. I wanted to be like my pastors, but I found myself coming up short and overwhelmed. And when I could no longer take it, and the question popped in my head, I don't think I have what it takes. In a way that I can't describe, because I don't know if it was really motivated from me or if it was like the Father's hand lifted me out of my chair and placed me on the floor and I began to cry out to him. Not with audible words, just kind of like a grunt. Like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And it was at that moment he said, I will use you to proclaim my greatness among the nations. And I knew in my soul that would never change. I knew for certain at that moment that I would stand among the nations and proclaim the greatness of my God. That will certainly come to pass. But the process of bringing that about, I've spent less time among the nations in the past few years than I did prior to coming to LCM. I actually met, or Hannah and I started dating in Africa while we were contemplating if this is the life that we were going to commit to. In the time being, I had to be drawn back from what I believed I was supposed to be doing in order to just be prepared for what I must do. And the same process is going to happen in your life. And today, as a final address, as we're talking about having a one-way ticket, that when God has spoken to you, it is a one-way ticket. But don't be surprised or disheartened when the drawing back process seems a lot more intense than you might have presumed. Saints, I don't know if you can tell, but today we don't have a well-prepared script for you. Nope. I honestly don't know how long or short the word will be. In fact, these laptops are here purely so that there are a couple notes in case we break down crying and just need to remind ourselves of where we were going. That timer is already in double digits, Judah. It is. And, uh... That's the thing about empirical standards, is you can both love and hate them at the same time. What Peyton is describing, and what Nick has introduced you to in Proverbs 25, is that it is a glorious and a kingly thing to search out the matters that God has concealed. Can I tell you that Ephesians 2 says that every one of you were created in Christ Jesus with good works prepared in advance for you to do? Not someone else, but works that were handcrafted by God for you and you alone. Saints, this is an astounding reality when we grab hold of it. That our lives are a beautiful pursuit of the will of the Father. And when we learn to pursue that as the only thing that matters, like you have a one-way ticket towards the will of God, it'll produce something in you. But as Pastor Joe said, we often discover things that are down the road, like long-range vision. And we tend to imagine how glorious the arrival will be and have no awareness of how inglorious the process is to reach that goal. To give you an idea of what we're talking about, I knew what it was to grow up in this ministry. I also knew what it was 
to drown in sin and need God to radically transform my life. Single men, hear me. After that happened, with a very short period of serious discipleship, God added to me something that I desperately needed. That's my amazing redhead on the front row. That was a step in reaching that goal. You know what I didn't know? How inglorious it would be to learn to lead my household well, especially for the first several years. And then in a team, and then in many other areas of life. The process of not only discovering, but finding God's will and arriving at it, well, it will make you into a king. Look, we all experience failure, and that is a part of this process. There's a glorious and, truthfully, an inglorious process to finding the will of God. Finding the will of God takes a great stripping away of the things that you thought that you were, the things that you thought that you wanted, the things and the ambitions that you thought that you had for your own life. Finding the will of God and searching out the secret things like the king and the son of God that you are, man, it is going to strip away everything that you think that you know and you want. That's part of it. I, when I got here and started being discipled, one of the things that started happening immediately is I started failing at everything. I'm like, what in the world is going on? You guys heard my first sermon from 2013? If any of you need encouragement, go back and listen to that first sermon. I promise you'll be encouraged after you listen to it. I've got a few. <laughs> it seemed like everything that I was doing, everything that I was trying to engage in, ended in failure. So Pastor Eric sat me down one day and he's like, hey, Nick. I want to go over a, a teaching about Peter's failings with you. Because he was, failed a lot too. That was about a decade ago. And going through that teaching and seeing passage after passage after passage where Peter, the great man of God, the great disciple of Jesus Christ, went out to do something. And he tried, but he failed. I want to tell you this morning... That when you raise yourself up and you go after the Ephesians 2 works of service that you are called to do, and when you seek out the face of God and you try, you put your foot in the water, you try to do what God called you to do, and you start doing it, you are going to fail. But the question is, are you going to get up and try again? Are you going to get yourself up and say, that was a failure, but I will never fail to try. I know what my God has called me to do, and I will try, and I will try, and I will try, and my God will cause me to succeed. So saints, now that we're 15 minutes in, it's probably best that we tell you what we really want to talk about. Okay. Today, we did not want to sit and speak to you about the bow process in your life. You've heard that message many times, and what's required is proving faithful. What we actually want to talk to you about is the real ultimate aim of God, which is not you personally being the arrow. It's actually about you becoming a bow in the lives of other men. 
What we're going to share with you today is primarily based around a prophecy from Elder Charlie many years ago and an accompanying word from one of the pastors. So Peyton's going to take us through a slide and help you begin to understand. This is the bow in Psalm 18. Notice at the top, we're going to read it in the ESV. Psalm 18:34. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bro of bronze. Somebody say that's good. That is so good. But what we want to show you today is what's written in the Septuagint. And it reads like this. Teaching my hands for war. And he set my arms as a brazen bow. Wow. Oh, that's better. That's better. It's not that he helps you draw the bow because he does. And that your arms can bend it. But it says that he actually sets your arms as a brazen bow. Any father can really feel that when you hold your children, right? It's one thing to be strong and able to protect, to do things outside of your children's life. But there's nothing like having your son or your daughter in your arms. Being the bow is the most powerful position that a father can be in because your abilities are summed up in what God has made you to be. And we're going to expound on that. As we talked to you earlier, Pastor Judah mentioned that this is life-changing ministries. Now, for the untrained ear, that might just go over your head. It's not life-changing ministry. The vision of this church was always to have every individual family to be a ministry in and of themselves that goes on to Amen. make more disciples. In the development of all callings, you become an arrow drawn back in the bow. But the point is that you take a one-way ticket to becoming a bow yourself. You start out as an arrow but the end goal, that one-way ticket where you were headed, is that you yourself become a bow that launches arrows. Arrows that become bows, or said another way, disciples creating disciples. The Lord is making this body into an unbreakable bow that can and will fire countless arrows on one-way tickets to become bows themselves. Do you want to do that? I know that you are committed to it. We know that you are committed to it. And today we're going to expound on that process so that you have a picture in your mind that the scripture is trying to show us. That you're more than an arrow. That was not your end goal. Your end goal was to become a bow that sent other arrows into the nations. In order to expound on this, we're going to go to the parent passage for the bow concept in Genesis 49. And as you're turning there, you can say one-way ticket. Since we don't really have anything scripted and we kind of get to do what we want this morning, I just want to take a moment to highlight how amazing my shirt is. Old. The Jugger Nugget. The Jugger Nugget. Written underneath is Genesis 49, verse 22, which is where you should be. It was a precious gift from a father in the faith who heard from his father about what his son's sons would become. Because we're not going to cry right now, I'm going to keep on going. You guys with me in Genesis 49? 
I already got Adam Cora because <laughs> he was there. Genesis 49, 22. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by the spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. See, Joseph was the arrow. I want you to notice that there are other archers out there who are wanting to kill Joseph's calling. It's really easy to focus on we are the arrows, we are the bows, but I want you to have a sobering reality that the world has their own archers. And their sole aim is to bring down the sons of God. Their sole aim is to cause you to back up, let up, or shut up. Charles Finney has a quote. Says, revival comes from heaven. When heroic souls enter the conflict, determined to win or die. Or if need be, to win and die. The arrow becoming a bow process, it is warfare. It is contested at every turn. But you will succeed if you will enter that conflict, determined to win or die, or if need be, both. When God calls forth an arrow, you can be certain that it will face opposition. And it will face a period of being drawn back. So much that it looks like the call has died. This was the blessing to Joseph in Genesis 49. And I want you to consider his life. The Lord gave him dreams. Man, that dreamer. Gave him dreams of what he would become. Of being the ruler of the earth. A divine calling given from his father to him. And then the process begins. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. How's that for becoming the ruler of the earth? To be betrayed by your family and sold to men who care nothing for your life and having to serve them for years. If that wasn't enough, he was drawn back even further when he was falsely accused of adultery in a house that he had faithfully served and been an asset to. After that, the dreamer was imprisoned, treated as a criminal, without rights, without freedom, without a voice, without any authority over his own life. But then God raised him up. We want to tell you that a one-way ticket has a fixed destination. Somebody say fixed destination. Fixed destination. Don't fall prey to thinking that a one-way ticket means that it's a straight shot, though. No, no, it's not. I'm not a mathematician or a geometry nerd, whatever discipline that falls into, but they say that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. I want to tell you this morning that in the kingdom, the shortest distance between two points is the will of the Father. But a one-way ticket from your vantage point is not going to look like a straight shot. Because one-way tickets can have many turns. But at the end of the day, there is no alternative routes. And the only one place that you will end up is where the Lord said that you would. 
In addition to Joseph, when you're talking about the inglorious call and the difficulties and the oppositions, think about men like Abraham. How would you like a promise and then have to wait a century to see that promise come about? Betrayed, difficulties, struggles on all fronts. How about a man like Noah? To be, be called to build a boat and to work for years and years and years and years, and the only people that stood by your side were the ones that you were married to and your sons. Not one person supporting you. In order to be successful, you have to be sure and secure in what God has said. Because when it proves difficult and nobody, even the whole world, supports you, you do it anyway. Say, I do it anyway. You do it anyways because you know what God has said. And once he speaks to you, it is a one-way ticket. You guys following us this morning? However, Joseph's life was not about him being fired as an arrow. It was about him becoming the bow himself that launched arrows. In the midst of all the difficulties and the archers of the world trying to bring him down... In Genesis 49, we're going to pick up in verse 24. Yet his bow remained unmoved. Unmoved. And his arms were made agile. By the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is one shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who, help, who will help you. By the mighty one who blesses you with blessings of heaven above. Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breast and of the womb. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph. And on the brow of him who has set apart from his brothers. What a blessing that a father could speak over his son. Joseph's arms became the bow. He was the dreamer, but now he is the archer. Joseph was the arrow and became the bow. As we get ready to head to Romania, we are like arrows. But your ultimate destiny and our ultimate destiny is to become the bow. You might remember we preached a sermon called the five principles of ministry. And we talked about Romania and how to view it. We talked about it being a hub of worldwide missions. Just like in the Bible, Antioch became the center of Christianity and followers of Jesus that sent other Christians and believers out into the known world. There are many Antiochs in our lives. Antioch for us is called Romania. We're going to go there, become a bow that launches arrows into the nations. You will become the bow and the father will wrap his hands around you and you will bend a bow of bronze. Which brings us to a concept I want everyone to get today. I want you to listen in. I'm going to do my best to describe it because it's beautiful. Joseph has been said that he could bend a bow of bronze. 
We learned in the Septuagint that his arms became the bow of bronze. But what does it take for a man to draw back a bronze bow? It takes incredible strength. It takes incredible ability. It takes steady hands and a still mind and keen focus. What do you do when you don't have that, though? If I took Barzillai and I stood him on this chair and gave him a bow of bronze and said, draw back, son. Do you think think he would do it? He would try with all of his heart. But he would be incapable because of his little strength. But then I would watch my son trying with all of his heart, and I'd walk up behind him, and I'd put my arms on his arms. I would grab the bow that I gave him and would say, draw it back, son. And he would try, trusting the voice of his father, and then the bowstring would begin to draw back. The arches of the bronze bow would bend to curl, and that arrow would be locked, ready for launch. This is exactly what your heavenly father is doing for you. You may be looking at your last couple of weeks saying, I fail too much. I'm too weak. I don't have the ability. I'm just a little arrow. If I can just be sent out by some strong men, maybe I'll have ability. It's nonsense. You're in this church to be made a bow. That's why God brought you here. Of course you can. Don't trust in your own strength. Trust in the God who will put his arms on your arms. Trust in the God who will put his hands on your hands and say, draw the bow, son. I am with you. I will give you the ability. There is no calling that will not be fulfilled when you know that your next bold act of faith is going to be met with the father's hands on yours. You may not know that you have the ability. Man, if you... Have you ever set out to do something and then renegotiated what God said to do because you were a little afraid? Have you ever set out to do something because it might cost you something? You ever said, God said, do something, but it might cause tension in your marriage. Has God said, go and do something, but man, it might jeopardize some other investments I have in other ministries. You ever stepped out to do something and said, well, I I don't want to leave behind these people. I'll just stay back with them. Can I tell you that you may not know what your next bold move of faith for Jesus Christ might produce in the people who are watching? Because when God puts his hands on a man's hands and they draw the bow, it's not just one arrow. It's arrow after arrow after arrow. And your ability increases. Your faith increases with every time you fire it. And your bow becomes stronger, becomes bigger, and more capable. Saints, one of the principles that we're working just to share very honestly with you, that the more effective a bow is, the more powerful it is, the harder it is to use. We're prophesying to you that you're becoming an unbreakable bow, that you are the bronze bow, that the only way any man can wield such a great weighty task from God is to learn to have such a relationship with your father that his hands are on your hands, that he's wrapped around you like a father wrapped around a son, and he is helping you draw the bow that you couldn't do on your own and doing it again and again and again. We're a sign of what is to come, a forerunner, not at all the last of what you're going to send. 
And in a sense, every one of you are an archer. Every father in this room is. As a body, collectively, you form an even larger bow. And as a continent in the United States, we're learning to forge a bronze bow between our churches that will fire dozens of arrows into the east. To be able to accomplish that, we need to know our father, the mighty one of Jacob, who helps you. Look, we're at 32 minutes in. 2 Kings 13 is something that is familiar to many of you. So I'm just going to read an excerpt of it, address a point, and continue to move. Verse 14 says, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and horsemen. He goes on to tell him to take a bow and arrows, and that arrows are to be fired into the east, and that they symbolize victory for Israel. The unfortunate aspect of this beloved story that although this king cried, my father, my father, he didn't really know the father who could help him draw the bow back. So instead of being able to fire arrows continuously, he lost his perseverance. But the principle still remains the same, that one-way ticket arrows are what is required, and that if we are willing to keep drawing that bow back asking our Father to lay his hands on us and go beyond what our own strength could produce, but rise to greater heights, to bend the bow and stoop and build it again, to raise up another set of disciples and send them as a beautiful offering. Victory is guaranteed in the East. An arrow is a one-way ticket. And you got to hold on during this drawing back process and fire the intention of making an impact. Psalm 144 in verse 1 says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Again, every one of you are an archer in the lives of your children. Collectively, this ministry is a bow, and collectively, the one association is a bow. Can I tell you that the ability to fire such a massive weapon requires different components, different men and women of unique callings, fingers, joints, ligaments that form one hand that is the hand of God. Our God is training us to bend a bigger bow than we ever have. And this next decade is going to be filled with scores of men that are sitting in this room right now And I'm watching God draw back that hoe in your life, but he's doing it to the end of ensuring you reach your destination. But we need every one of us in our unique callings and unique capacities. We were fit together like fingers, joints, and ligaments to do this, to bend that unbreakable bow. And we've been forged together from all over the world in different walks of life as the very body of Christ aiming at the center of his will. You might not feel like it, but you are the very bow in the hands of the king. You are that bow, and you make up the different facets of that bow. And it doesn't matter if you feel like it, because you're watching arrows be sent out as soon as tomorrow. So you know that you are the bow in the hand of God. 
We want to talk to you about what you have become. Turn with us to 2 Samuel 18. We're going to read a couple couple verses in 2 Samuel 18, starting in verse 2. Come on, when you guys get there, say one-way ticket. That sounds like about every one of you. I'm going to trust that it is. 2 Samuel 18, 2. David sent out his troops, a third under the command of Joab, a third under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zeruah, and a third under Ittai the Gittite. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. Man, that's good intentions by King David. He wants to go out and march out with his commanders and his troops. But look at what his men said. But the men said, you must not go out. If we are forced to flee, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care. But you are worth 10,000 of us. It would be better now for you to give us support from the city. You heard that you are worth 10,000 of us? We're going to pop a slide up here and help you understand this a little bit better. Second Samuel 18.3 is what we just read. Even if half of us die, they won't care. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Look at this footnote here. Two Hebrew manuscripts say this. Some Septuagint manuscripts and the Vulgate. But most Hebrew manuscripts read like this. They won't care. For now, for now. Somebody say for now. Now. There are 10,000 like us. Saints, we've already spoken to you about the three commanders. We've spoken to you about big country. We spoke to you about Lintonius. We spoke to you about the general. And these men have been gifted to you. To make sure that you are prepared for all of your works of service in the kingdom of God. But notice on this slide, that's not all that is said here. There are 10,000 like them. 10,000 like these men in this congregation. All right, we're going to work this one a little bit. Bo Rosales, I want to hear you say there are 10,000 like them. There are 10,000 like them. He can say that because he's of the same character, the same quality of the men who are being sent out and who are taking their place. We're standing full of a room of men who will pastor, who will preach, who will teach, but most importantly, will live godly lives of perseverance. Carlos Reda, will you help me out and say there are 10,000 like us? There are 10,000 like us. Saints, we're going to get in to believe this in this room. We're going to all get down here. Today is not a day of loss. Today is a day when we recognize God has raised up many like them. Today we exalt the fact that our King of Kings has not left this storehouse empty, but he's actually brought in a much greater harvest and we're just making room. Rob, I want you to say, I am the 10,000 like them. I am the 10,000 like them. Oh, come on. Cody, I am the 10,000 like them. I am the 10,000 like them. The fact of the matter is, is that you are the 10,000 like them. And that is why we get to be launched into our call. That is why your sons and daughters and their vision for their own lives and what God has in store for them is true. 
That is why we will launch arrow after arrow after arrow into the Balkans. And from there, we're going to create another bow, guys. We're going to create another bronze bow with the men that are around us, and we are going to begin to launch arrows into the Middle East. You are of the 10,000. As we build on this, I want you to listen to Leviticus 26. Picking up in seven, it says, you shall chase your enemies. You want to chase some enemies? I don't know why that's so difficult to say. Chase your enemies. We need every single one of you to chase these enemies. And it says, they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred. Come on. And a hundred of you shall chase 10,000. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. A hundred, like a hundred families planted planted in the Middle East, shall chase 10,000 enemies. We want to tell you that there is a building moment that all of, as we all take responsibility in our role, our privilege to fight. You can only accomplish so much if you've entered into this contest with a return ticket. There are no round trip tickets in the kingdom. When God has spoken and he said, you are like the 10,000, go and join your brothers. That is a one-way ticket. And the days where this is becoming so clear are among us. You must have a one-way ticket to doing the will of God. In Leviticus 26 and verse 9, it has a beautiful promise. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept. And you shall clear out the old and make way for the new. Come on. Just like old treasures and new treasures coming to one to raise up these arrows that we will launch. Our one-way ticket is not leaving this house empty. Us going to Romania does not mean that there is a void in this house because we're moving forward with the Lord. This house is an unbreakable bow. This body cannot be hurt, cannot be put at a disadvantage no matter what happens. The way we get stronger and we say, Lord, give us another one, is we say, here's our best, Lord. We will send them out and we'll raise up more just like them. An unbreakable bow. And you are on a one-way ticket right into the will of God. There's a stirring in the room that we're going to stay capitalizing on. Yeah. I can see in some of your eyes that you're beginning to get this is not just a sad moment. This is exactly what was spoken of during worship. You were put here to step up into that role. God didn't ordain someone else to do it. He ordained you to do it. That's why he brought you here out of all of the other places you could have ended up. Let that feeling of responsibility rise. Let your confidence rise. 1 Corinthians 4 says this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Do you realize that Christ has given you mysteries that for ages past the world has longed to look into? You, not somebody else, you have been entrusted with the mysteries of God. 
Saints, these are the days when we stand up in those mysteries and say, no, I have been given a vision. I do have a direction. God brought me here because he is developing me. If I trip, if I fall, if I feel inadequate, I'm coming back to the Father who has my arms. I'm going to stand as a steward of what God has given. It goes on to say that it's required of stewards that they prove faithful. We're in the days of proving faithful. Some are like Isaiah 49 arrows being developed in the shadow of God's hand. But they will be put on display in the appropriate time. These days for us have been a process of development that have required in the face of mounting data of our own inadequacy. To stand and trust God anyway. Amen. We've all three shared with you some about our stripping moments in the process of discipleship. Can I tell you about another time period that pastors generally don't like to talk about? Yes. About the time frame after being ordained. Because you don't cease to be developed or sinful or desperately in need of God the second that someone gives you a title. A little bit like when a son moves out from his parents' house, he's so excited to do things his own way, and he's a little scared to call back home because he thinks that now he has the title man, he should be self-sufficient. Getting the title pastor does not mean that you've ceased to be developed, that you cease to be sinful, or that you cease to desperately need the mighty one of Jacob to have his hands on you. And in fact, the way that we get closer to the mighty one of Jacob is often from a father, like physical Jacob, prophesying to you, strengthening you, directing you back to the word. That in mind from 2021 up to this present time, for the three of us, that's been the shift of ceasing to think of ourselves as the arrow. Constantly working through, yes, we're going to reach the destiny. We're going to reach the calling. We're whatever it takes, man. And actually putting to death the selfishness that creeps into his man's heart along with a God-born calling. The whole point of being sent is that your life is about them. Can I tell you that spending a few years working with men who've been in ministry a long time, it's been an awe-inspiring and humbling experience. And how little it matters whether you preached well on a Sunday or not. Yeah, that's true. Most people hear the word pastor and they think the word preacher. If Wade Sutherland had not spoken in two years from this pulpit, he would still be a pastor in this room because that's who he is. I grew up in this ministry and I, I knew that, but I didn't know that quite like I do now. We're in the midst of taking generals and captains and leaders that are in this room. And you know how to stand up and preach. You know how to stand up and speak. But you're learning what it is for your life to be about everyone else. When you learn to take responsibility for the world around you, for the atmosphere, for the trajectory of people's lives. You first have to do that in your home and then in the outer world. That is a man that God can send to the nations. 
We believe that God is raising up 10,000 like us that are even better. You've already had the opportunity to see three commanders take our place that have been in preparation for a long time now. They're not nearly the last. I want to commend you from Acts 20, beginning in verse 31. Therefore, be alert. Saints, Paul is here speaking to a group of men and women that are his dearly loved companions. I mean, the Ephesian elders experienced the greatest supernatural warfare that exists in all of the book of Acts alongside Paul. And he's standing before a group of men and women that will change the world. And are filled with leaders. But he has a one-way ticket. So he says to them, be alert. Church, I want to tell you today, be alert. It's not your pastor's job who has a title to be alert. It is your job to be alert. What do I mean by be alert? I don't mean stand around looking for something to go wrong. I don't mean try to keep yourself out of trouble. I mean exactly what Paul meant by it. He's speaking to men who would lead generations. Be alert for the sake of those that are around you. Be aware of those that are up and coming around you. Be aware of the enemies of God's house. And you take a stand to ensure that it succeeds. Paul's saying this because he's got a one-way ticket. Remembering that for three years... I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. It's funny. This is the inspired word of God, and it has a way of speaking differently to you in different times in your life. But it's about three years ago that we were ordained in that process I was telling you about. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. There's a place to start when we begin to make ourselves alert. Meaning you realize that God put you here for a purpose and it's your job to watch what is happening around you. It's your job to be concerned for it. It's your job to ensure that it grows because you are the one bending the unbreakable bow alongside your brothers. Well, then you begin to cling to a word of grace. The very word of God along with power to do what is right and say no to ungodliness. In fact, it will stir you to be zealous for those that are around you and it will transform the world. It goes on to say, which is able to build you up. Look, I don't mean this to be as aggressive as it sounds. But I hate hearing the words. I'm just not able to yet. I hate hearing it in my own thoughts. The reality is that engaging in the word and grace of God and being alert to what is around you will build you up into what you need to be. From the day that you're born again to the day that you die, there's never a time we cease growing in the kingdom. I learned that from my elders. Into an inheritance among those who are sanctified. The point here being, 
that the last things Paul wants to share with the Ephesian elders is to be alert. Cling to the grace or power of God. Cling to the very word of God. He will build you up into what you need to be. And you will receive an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Or said another way, made holy. Saints, there's no other way to do this without having a one-way ticket. It's not possible to do this while you have return options, while you have stop flights, while you have layovers that are in a place that you should not be. I'm taking a week off. This church is and has become the unbreakable bronze bow. Now is the time for our awareness, our sense of responsibility to grow that says I've got one direction. I'm heading towards the will of God and I will not stop until I reach it because it's my job and my responsibility. I tell you one of the more precious things of the last few months and years, I've seen a new fire grow in the Ludvigsen clan. Even as I'm sitting here, I can see a greater intensity in their eyes about staying on that direction. What we're saying to you is take a one-way ticket to what you are called to do. To the many parts and many responsibilities in this room, do not allow someone else to take your place. Stand and work alongside your brothers. Let's hear what Paul continues to say in 33. 33 begins, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. How can Paul say this so confidently and how can they know it so confidently? It's because when Paul showed up, he was never there for himself. And you can easily put the Apostle Paul in a different category, but he set an example for all of the believers in his speech, in his life, in his love, in everything that he did. He set them an example of what a righteous life in Jesus Christ looks like. When you show up, are you there to be fed or are you there to feed? Are you there to receive or are you there to sacrifice? Are you there to say, hey, what you got for me? Or are you there to pour out your life for the benefit of this bow that is the body of Christ? You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me tell you, when you walk through the doors of this church, do you have that mentality in mind? Do you have it in your heart? Are you dying to yourself? Are you dying to your life so that the others around you might live? I'm talking about going to fellowship on Fuerte later. Are you there to receive or are you there to die so that your brothers might live and be built up and be encouraged and get what they need? This goes way past bringing a bottle of bourbon to somebody's house. Don't stop doing that though. That is the foundational building block that we greatly encourage. Better to give. But it goes way past that, church. It goes way past that to the point where you get to be a bow, a bronze bow, an unbreakable bow that you trust the ones around you that you are connected with. 
that you know that you have died for each other time after time after time and that the next arrow is going to hurt so hard. But we're going to shoot it together. That's what it takes. 36, and when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. How do you think we're going to end this service? And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Being sorrowful, sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. We are just a sign of what is to come. We're just an example of what is to come. We're just the first of many. And every iteration after us is going to be better, is going to be stronger, it's going to be more sacrificial, it's going to be more equipped, and it's going to be because of the work that you guys do from this moment forward. Because you are the unbreakable bow that can fire these arrows and these one-way tickets into the nations. You guys are going to do this by living as if you have a one-way ticket only to the call of God. There might be many different steps along the way, and as Pastor Peyton said earlier, it's not going to be a straight line. But now is the time to live as if you only had a one-way ticket and it was only for the will of God and nothing less. There are no alternative routes. There are no layovers with God's one-way ticket. There's definitely no return flights available. There's only a one-way ticket to the will of God. That is your choice, and you make that choice with us today. We have one more sermon. This is our last chance to, to pour into you. And I, I feel the heaviness in the room. I want to encourage you, don't shy away from it. This is beautiful before our King. Amen. This is beautiful. I heard from a, an amazing pastor on Friday. As he was praying and prophesying, the Lord spoke to him. Because in the man's heart, he said, God, it's so hard to give up my closest friends. It's so hard to say goodbye, Lord. It's so hard to see them go and do these things. And the Lord responded to him and said, I know they're my sons. But I can tell you, it's not a bad thing to feel heavy. It's not a bad thing to want to kneel down and weep because we may not see many of your faces again. I want to tell you there's a greater reality, that our Father sees it as beautiful. And just like he's put his hands on our hands in this season, he's going to do it again. And he's going to do it again, and he's going to replicate it. And every iteration, every season, every time we go through the process, it's only going to get more and more costly, which makes it all the more beautiful. I want to speak to you from 2 Corinthians 4, because in many ways... How do you, or I'll say it this way, how do you say in a sermon 
all the things that you want to say to the people you care about it the most. Suppose the best thing is to charge you, to encourage you, to remind you of what we committed to. In 2 Corinthians 4, picking up in verse 7, Paul wrote, But we have this treasure. He didn't say we have these things. He didn't say we have stuff. He said this treasure in jars of clay. So that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This ministry is like a jar of clay. Better yet, this ministry is like an alabaster jar that is full of golden oil. Church, the time has come for you to pour out that offering. You'll pour it out. You'll break the vessel. You'll spare no cost. It will hurt and cost you. But it's beautiful in the eyes of our king. That unbreakable bow that is life-changing ministries, that unbreakable bow, which is the one association of churches, will become stronger and stronger and launch more and more arrows in the days ahead. I want you to imagine the relationship between that unbreakable bow and those arrows that are being sent. The bow is a servant to the arrow. The bow is a servant to the arrow. Do you remember in Matthew 23, Jesus said, the greatest among you must become your servant? If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to make other men great. Just like Pastor Nick was saying, you have to walk in to every situation asking your father, what do they need? What can I bring and sit down at their feet to bless them and lift them higher? That is the function of the bow, to be a servant to the arrows. Without an arrow, a bow serves little purpose. In the same way, a church that does not send out disciples does not have much of a purpose. I want you to take hold of that today when you think about this coming season. Are you working with all of your heart in every single fellowship, in every single service, in every single Bible study, every night when you lay down your kids, every night when you lay in bed next to your wife? Are you looking for the next bold move of faith that causes the arrows to be built up in your life? On the inverse, an arrow is not much of a weapon without a bow to fire it. You can't conquer a kingdom with a stick. But when an arrow, that little stick that's just been sharpened to a point, is placed in an unbreakable bow, it is one of the most powerful lethal forces known to weaponry. It's exactly what this church is. Whether it's an alabaster jar, whether it's arrows... 
There are beautiful sacrifices that we must commit ourselves to giving up when the king says, let go. And today we're saying, let go. Let us fly. Because once we are sent out, you will raise up more. You will raise up arrows that will become bows themselves. And this gospel will continue to increase and expand all the way until we all stand in Jerusalem when our king comes back. Saints, we're at an hour and four minutes, but I couldn't care less. Both because it's instructive and because a little comic relief is helpful. Any of you watch the movies where some gay elf is running around and he's run out of arrows and he uses the bow to hit someone? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the reality is it doesn't actually work that way. Hitting someone with a bow is like slapping them with a wet noodle. I've seen it. A Turkish noodle. Turkish noodle. It's a pretty useless thing without arrows. Both in the room and online, the instructive part of that is that should help you identify and evaluate the church that you're a part of. Because if you're a part of a bow that does not send out arrows of fivefold ministers, you're at a wet noodle church that is useless to the kingdom. To the Romanians who are listening to this and hearing me, in a sense, we're an arrow coming to see you, and you're about to be arrows that are engaged in discipleship and training and rise to great areas of leadership. But your destiny is to become a bow yourself. It's never about us and was never about you. It's about the expansion of the kingdom of God and you becoming a bow that sends men to the Middle East until we reach Jerusalem. Verse 13 of the same passage says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. Saints, can anybody else in this room say that I desire more of that same spirit of faith? We're going to pray here in just a little while and I know that Adonai will breathe upon us and it will help us Stand up and speak. Says we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Saints, our pastor spoke on Thursday night about what it looks like to minister to God himself. This is what it looks like to bring glory and thanksgiving to God himself. Today is not a day of loss. Today is a day of the expansion of the grace, the power of God inside of men spreading out across the earth. And today, his very spirit will breathe on us and help us to stand up and speak about it around the world. Speaking of thanksgiving to the glory of God, go to verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Come on, somebody say, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Next verse. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. One more. As we look not to the things that are seen, 
but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We talk about a lot of different concepts in this passage, but what I want to hone in right now is the one life that you were. The one life that you became, that you were when you showed up here. You see, somebody thought that your one life was important. Somebody looked at you and had a vision for your life. Somebody looked at you and they saw what was unseen, yet unseen in the spiritual realm. And they said, man, this is what you are going to be, my son. This is what is going to happen in your life. And your one life has turned out the way that it is today. We're looking at 10,000 that are like us. So what does it look like for you to look at a man and say, this is the one life that God has put in mind? You see, this is what we're talking about, about creating arrows, raising them up and sending them out. This is what we're talking about, about getting your vision off of yourself because you're capable. You can do it. Look at what God has done among us. Look at what he has raised up all around us. It's our turn. It's your turn to look around and say, God, send me the one life. God, send me three. Send me ten, mighty God, that you might speak into my soul because I'm ready to sacrifice my life for them. I will do it for you. I will lay down my life that those might live. This is not loss in any way. This is the one life. That God is going to multiply, and we are in third and almost fourth generations now. Can you say exponent? Exponent. You were the one life that mattered to someone, and now it is your turn to do the same. Kind of a special moment. We've come to our last scripture. The final one. It's the close of a sermon, but it's the beginning of a new season. We're going to read to you from Psalm 126. I want you to hear these words from verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. This ministry began as a dream. Began as one man getting before his father and saying, my son, I'm going to put my hands on your hands and you can do it. Can I tell you this ministry has been like a bow? Has been like an arrow that was drawn back, has gone through the process, is now experience the glory the joy, the power, the awe of watching arrows be launched. We are like those who dream, and today we're standing in the reality that once was a dream. It's as tangible as I could wipe tears off of your face right now. Our God is so good. He's so good. 
And then it goes on in verse 2. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. And our tongue with shouts of joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then they said among the nations. What a joy and day of laughter today is. Because this is not a day of great loss. This is a day of great triumph for our God. Because we are abounding. We are expanding. We are extending ourselves into the nations that will turn and praise the God of Israel. Amen. Thanksgiving, joy, praise will break out in the nation of Romania. Joy and praise and laughter will break out in Italy, in Albania, in Turkey, Iraq, Syria, Azerbaijan, extending all the way back to those fortunes that are restored to Zion. It's a dream that is becoming a reality more and more every single moment that passes. I'm going to finish the verse and read verse 3 and help you understand what's happening. The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Saints, living in a dream and seeing the nations rejoice always looks like moments that you have to come to where it's the Lord is doing great things for them. As in someone else that you're allowing separation from. Because you know in the end, what we will be saying is the Lord has done great things for us together as one people of God. We don't get to accomplish everything that that psalm says without having to look at each other and say, the Lord's done great things for you. Knowing that even that phrase implies separation. That's not how it finishes. We're not going to sit and talk about Isaiah 25 and the Feast of Abraham again. Or many other passages that come to mind. But the reality is at the end of the day, we will all be sitting with our one Father. And we will be those who say the Lord has done great things for us through this process. Stand up with us. Yeah, worship team, you can make your way up to the stage. As we pray together this morning one last time, as you're praying with me, I would like you to focus on the arrows that are going to be raised up and sent out of this church. I want you to focus on the arrows that are going to be raised up and sent out of the one association churches and your brother churches across this nation. I want you to pray for the strength of the bow of the men and the women around you. I want you to pray for the ability to stay together, sacrificing, 
consecrated for the will of God together. I want you to stand up and fight for the vision of God that you have now become a pivotal part of. You guys ready to pray? Father, we lift up your name and your will and your glory. We say, mighty God, let us do good things for them. So, so that, Lord, in the future we can stand up together and watch your miraculous, glorious hand at work and be able to praise your name together and say, Lord, you have done glorious things for us. Mighty God, we pray for your churches now. Lord, we pray for a rising church, Lord. We pray for submission ministries, mighty God. Lord, we pray for remnant church. Lord, we pray for King's Harvest Church. Mighty God, we pray for Peru and Indonesia in this place, mighty God. Would you make the hands of our brothers strong, mighty King? Lord, would you make them into the strong bows, Lord, that they are? Father, make their brotherhood strong. Lord, let us be mutually encouraged as we watch all of us send out arrow after arrow after arrow into the Balkans, into the Middle East, into your will, mighty God. Father, let us be strengthened together, Father, and let us celebrate as we get to rejoice together in what you are accomplishing. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you a perspective, and then we're going to actually move these chairs and pretend that this is the beach with the Ephesian elders and kneel and pray together. We've been in love with Romania for a long time. We saw sheep with something worse than not having shepherds. That shepherds that were sinful and abusive. And we longed for them and as far back as 2015, we started talking about the possibility that the kibbutz would pastor in Romania and not Turkey. It's a hard thing to let go of Turkey because we were sure that we heard it and still are sure. Turns out that there can be more than one stages in your one-way ticket. Not a straight line. Not a straight line. By 2017, we were filled with the thought of uh, there's nothing else we can add to these guys best disciples that we had ever seen they were already doing most of our work for us and we felt incapable without them in 2017 I'm giving you this perspective for a reason you know why we couldn't send them in 2017 well the storybook answer is it wasn't God's will the truth is is you were not ready for that because they were very unique at that time in 2017 we had gone through a long series of sending men through the years when Michael Hutchinson was sent I cried like I'm trying to not cry right now well it's like losing your one 
Yeah. You know, or when Zeke or Brent or Buddy is like losing one. And the truth is, is there were not any other men like them. There were men called to be like them, but not like them. You know what's different from 2017 till now? It's the phrase, there's 10,000 like us. Yeah. You're going to have to believe that. I, I could spend another two hours and you're on your feet, so I'm not going to. It's not just that you weren't ready. The pastors of this church were not ready. One of the things that I would love to see implemented in all of our discipleship and the heart, the familial heart of this home is that you wouldn't be so focused on what you think God has called you to do that you would see your own home burn down to go do it. We haven't added much to them in the way of discipleship. They've been our co-workers from 2017 on, but they were unwilling to leave the church in the state that it was in from 2017 till now. They knew that the bow would be necessary for the future generations. Yeah. I want to encourage you to grab hold of that in your thoughts. Amen. We want to send every one of you. A couple of you are about as prepared as I know how to make you. Just a couple. Most of you still have got some work to do. But we're not quite ready to lose you yet because your job is to help us get everyone ready. Amen. And the whole church is so much more ready than the average depth of our body in 2017. So I'm going to read just this passage. And you know what? We can turn on lights. We can because we're going to gather right there. But before we get, y'all take a seat. I, I'm breaking my own rules here. Got you on your feet, swaying and hurting. Would you turn on those lights? Thank you. Put Genesis 49:22 back on the screen. And we're going to prepare ourselves and then get right here. Uh, and kneel together and pray. Big changes at life-changing ministries. Three of our strongest are going. The strongest we've ever seen are going to rise. Planting two ministries and one new whole association on another continent. We're going to have to trust our God. Which means trusting his working in your brother's. Genesis 49, 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough. I'm going to read that as vine so that this is not confusing. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine by a spring. His branches run over the wall. Despite all the adversity in Joseph's life, he was tapped into a limitless spring. And he ascended and climbed the wall of adversity. But his branches are not him. His branches are his sons that came from him. And his father was prophesying that because he was tapped into a limitless spring and he climbed through adversity, that the branches coming from him would actually run over the adversity. Yeah. That's, that's what's being prophesied here. The archers 
bitterly attacked him, shot at him, harassed him severely. I want you to catch this for just a second. Who is speaking to Joseph? His daddy, who had missed out on his whole life. See, his daddy's just now finding out about all of the adversity. He didn't know. He thought he was dead. Can you imagine what that missed out time felt like? 24. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His father is marveling that while being shot at, Joseph still developed into an extraordinary man. Are you getting that? His arms were made agile or strong or flexible or limber by the hands of the mighty one of who? The daddy who has missed out on his son's life is marveling at what God did in his absence. And the same God that had strengthened Jacob's arms had showed up in his son's life in his absence and strengthened his arms. Our God will be their God too in Romania and in Italy. And you're going to have to trust that your God is your brother and sister's God too in this room. But that's from a position of feeling some absence. What do you do if you're not absent and you are in proximity? God strengthens their hands by you becoming his hand to do it. See, we have two real opportunities for extraordinary faith here. One is for each one of you to believe that God wants to strengthen and steady your brother next to you by using your hands in their lives. And the other is for the brothers that we might not see their face again for a while to believe that the same God that's been doing it for you will do it for them. Yeah? This is going to be the finest season in our church's life. Amen. We set out to build something that was not around a singular personality, not around a singular family, but that the goal would be families of ministries would rise in here. And it has happened. The number of Stevens are being reduced. The number of men that the Stevens had personal discipleship in their lives is being reduced because... Everybody else here is going to produce the same and better outcomes through interacting with the same God. Does that make sense to you? The Lord's been aiming at this for a long time, and this is a special moment.